0: the question uh from a, I, I believe this is a young woman i'm 23 years old with asperger diagnosis i like the way i am but would like to have friends and a boyfriend not so easy don't know what i'm doing wrong i'm good on the computer is there an online online class i can take to help me
1: good lord have I ever been stumped by a question? I don't know, let me just think. <laughs> that's a tough one. First of all, um, I'm not sure <clears throat> what's out there to help this person. I'm trying to go through my head and think of, is there anything, you know, it's funny, Shannon, because we do have a lot of uh, adult Asperger's mm-hmm. people asking us how do I uh, get a girlfriend, for instance. Mm-hmm. that's. I think even harder than just how do I get friends or what's, mm. what is wrong with getting friends. I think that if, you know, it sounds this, like this person is very uh, functioning almost normally in many yeah. ways and perhaps uh, what might benefit you is some of the books that are out there for all of us. Mm. And like for instance, Dale Carnegie's, uh, what is it? How to how, Make Friends. How to Win and, Friends and Influence People. people right. Uh-huh. So there are books out there that kind of talk about what it, you know, what types of things actually bring you friends Mm -hmm. as a whole. That's easier to do because I think there are certain rules about that. You know, like you could say... um, empathy the development of empathy or having some sense of being able to see other people's perspectives, being able to have a you know empathetic towards people's needs and issues those types of things tend to increase your friends um, being non-judgmental there are certain rules that you can follow and that's easier. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of relationships, excuse me I don't think there are any rules I mean I think everyone I think everyone has problems with relationships to some extent I think once you're I think and and I definitely think you have to get a little bit better at just having friends first Mm -hmm. and then hopefully someone who is a friend Uh, then goes beyond just friendship, and then you develop a relationship, because I think that relationships should be formed based on friendship as well. And um, so I think you take it a step at a time and perhaps you start out with just general, you know, self-help books like Carnegie's or any others that are out there on how to make friends. Um, Because there's just, you know, there's a series of things that you have to keep in mind and try to do those things. And then relationships, there's so much that you you could be the perfect friend and the perfect partner, and yet you will possibly come across people who have their own issues and your relationships may go up and down and who knows you know so it's harder to have the right expectations from just following a set of rules absolutely uh and it's a hard one it is a very hard one and and i'm
0: not aware of an online class but there are a couple of places on if you're good at the computer there are places where you can meet with other individuals that are on the spectrum and and have conversations and and make friends and sometimes make connections i mean we certainly have heard of people hooking up on the odd spot. Yeah. Uh, and also wrongplanet.net. Right. We have Alex Plank on the right, show on right. a regular basis and he has a very interesting site that's just uh, about Asperger issues. Yeah. That's and, awesome. And that you can connect with people and ask questions and make friends and even we've shown it here on the show before Alex did a video on how to flirt.
1: Yeah. It's really they cute. Are, oh, that's it's just awesome. the
0: sweetest thing. Oh, that's and, awesome. uh we're some where an expert in the field teaches Alex how to flirt. that's terrific. Uh, So, you know, an interesting way to connect with people. Yeah. And then in your in your travels if you find uh, a class online, let us know as we'd like please. to know about that. Right, later. absolutely. Okay. Uh, let's take a look here. We've got another question that comes in in parts. Um, Uh, Thank you for all you do. Oh, we we darted on that one. Uh, My question is, how can we ever thank you for what you have done for our child and countless other children? Oh,
1: that's so nice. That's a
0: very sweet one. Thank you. Uh, A person who wants to know how can I get my husband on board? He still thinks our son is just fine and will outgrow this. Mm. That's a hard one.
1: Yeah. Oh gosh. Um, People are convinced by different things. You you know your husband better. Sometimes people are convinced by standardized testing. Mm -hmm. Um, So that might be a good way to go. Sometimes parents think that their child has very minimal issues. And when we do standardized testing, so like, uh, you know, language testing that are normed so that you can have a comparison of all other kids that age. Um, that helps because then they it's just you know it's kind of like a score and the score is if it's one or two standard deviations below the norm then it becomes something real um there's tests for everything standardized tests for everything you would need an assessment center or a psychologist who is um, knows autism our assessment centers are very very good and i recommend that you do contact us if you are Uh, well I mean our assessors actually travel to many states Uh, not all states because we have to be licensed in the state that you test Mm -hmm. if you come to California obviously we're happy to assist you and do assessments but if your your husband's not on board I doubt that would happen so um, I think it's more a matter of just trying to get an assessment done so that the you can see the deficits you know and there the other thing is I think sometimes parents get into these like moms are very intuitive and they start to see things earlier because we all know our kids really Mm -hmm. very very well Mm -hmm. and sometimes for dads it's just harder because accepting that there might be something wrong is too personal an issue and it's just a big issue for them it's just harder for them to accept that so I wouldn't keep pushing it because I think sometimes our dads just become, they they feel like they're in a corner and everybody's pushing them and they become a little defensive. Um, But it is important I suppose for you to really highlight the things that concern you and perhaps get a third party involved who can give an objective perspective of whether those things are actually delayed or not. Teachers are often very good for this. Um, sometimes if you have a family doctor who knows the family pretty well that might be a good person to speak with him I know you're doing a segment for dads aren't you
0: yeah we're doing a dad's roundtable (laughs) feel like this is a a portion of the autism community that doesn't get enough light shed on it that it's it's a different experience for the dads I mean it would be very easy for me to sit and say oh it's the same thing but it isn't it's a very different experience for the dads and we've heard that time and time again and 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 yet I, I really am looking forward to we're having five dads um, sit down and talk about what it's been like, and they're at different places on their journey, um, and, and we're going to be thrilled to show that to you guys in about a month month and a half. Uh, I'm I'm really looking forward to it because I can't remember which dad it was. It might have been Matt Asner, but one of the dads came in and said that they felt helpless until they knew that there was something, they couldn't just have their child have autism. They just couldn't deal with that until they knew that there was something
1: they could do to help them. Right. And then they could get on board. And that's so, it makes sense perfectly, right? I mean, you don't wanna, uh, most of us are, we might be overwhelmed with some, with a diagnosis, but as long as we know that there's some problem solving or some way to come to a possible solution mm-hmm. or help it, yeah. then that empowers us, yeah. and it, you just feel completely, and that's the biggest issue for, for dads, I think, because the dad's role, I think, in the family, a lot of dads tell me their thing is you know, protection and yeah. taking care of the family and safety and making sure that everybody's okay, and when someone's not okay and the dad is completely left helpless, Yeah, exactly. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. That's just so overwhelming. It is. It is. And And they blame themselves, I think. And
0: and I think for women, you know, we're... It's socially acceptable for us to have a few tears. It's socially acceptable for us to get angry and have a moment, um, and express our feelings. And it's socially acceptable for us to sit down with other women and say, you know, I'm having this kind of a day and it feels like this. And we get at least a little bit of an outlet, hopefully, but for the dads, I, 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 we keep hearing that, It's very much the silent, the strong, silent thing that they're feeling helpless but holding it all in. So I'm really looking forward to what our dads have to say and and listening really hard because I
1: I do think it's a particular kind of hard for them. It absolutely is. And it's interesting because when I've had single dads, Mm -hmm. they do everything the moms do. Yeah. I mean, they just become like one of our moms, you know? But when you have... Partners, husband and wife, mom and dad, um, moms very quickly fall into a certain role of just let me do whatever I can do. Yeah. And dads will often be the ones that are like, okay, she's taking charge of this. I will kind of just be on the outskirts more, you yeah. know, and they're less involved. And a lot of times I think they're just, I think they take it upon themselves. Like they feel guilty or they feel yeah. like they haven't been, um they haven't done what they were supposed to do yeah. or somehow it's their fault or those types of things
0: do you know Moira Giamatteo? she's a TACA mom no and we've had her on the show before she and her husband do some seminars uh together and one of the things that they talk about is that there's always a project manager for autism mm-hmm. and that if you decide Yeah that's good isn't that and and if you decide who the project manager is but that that doesn't mean that the whole weight of it falls on them but that right. you designate and say you know, know and that a lot of times not always but a lot of times the mom is the project manager for autism but you know the dad is busy keeping the roof over the sure, head sure. it sort of you know shakes down that way in a lot of families but in, not in all of them but they do a really great lecture about how you weather that yeah that's because right.
1: you know that's it's right. tough oh it's tough it's, it's- i mean it's tough for i i you know as you know i'm i'm a single mom but like it's tough anyway because yeah. It, when you have typically developing kids and you work it's tough yeah you know and earlier we were talking about being a lot of us moms are in that generation where we also have parents that yeah. we take care of so it's sort of uh, it is very very tough and when you yeah. have a child with special needs it's ten times as tough because yeah. they just have so much else going on
0: and and i i don't I also don't remember who it might have been Holly Robinson Pete that came in and said you know imagine you know, you're trying to figure it out for yourself, but imagine this this crazy hope that both of you are going to be on the same page at the same moment always and in step with each other about what should happen. It's kind of a crazy thought that we would think that that was possible.
1: Yeah, it, and it isn't because each of us are going through our own reflections yeah. and issues with something, that dress that comes up. Yeah, it's yeah. a tough process. It is a sure. tough process. But And I, I do know that it was Holly Robinson-Pete who said that if she, there
0: was one thing that she could do over she would be a little bit more patient with her husband. Right. Um, and
1: didn't Rodney P write a book about yes, this? Yes. He's right. got a, he's
0: got a great book out that's a great gift for Father's Day if you haven't already gotten a gift, that would be a great gift to give this dad. Right. To see because it it brought Rodney Pete to his knees. Yeah. He had an idea that he was going to have a son and his son was going to be the captain of the football team. I know because he was Rodney Pete. Right. And and he was impervious and nothing was going to happen to him. And it brought him to his knees. Right. Um, and, you know, it's a very to-the-bone honest book, but it's a great book for dads to read so that they don't feel alone. Exactly. Uh, and we've had some amazing, amazing dads from oh, gosh. models. Oh my I mean, Joe Montana, Gary Cole, oh, Matt yeah, Asner, absolutely, absolutely. Ed Asner, who is both a dad and a grandfather right. of a child on the spectrum. Right. Um, and they all have done interviews that, either with us, that because we've done interviews with all of them, but you can also find on YouTube where they talk about how they felt and the denial right you know we talk about that that river in Egypt that we all like to float on no
1: it's very true and (laughs) and, um, it is a very common thing actually with uh, I think and I'm not sure why it has something to do with just early when we're developing as girls or boys Um, boys tend to procrastinate a lot more Mm -hmm. Um, I don't I think it has something to do with their what they're gaining internal reward for you know girls always have this need or desire to please their parents Mm -hmm. boys not so much and so over time as we grow adulthood uh, usually men are it's, more, it's easier for them to procrastinate. Mm-hmm. And when there's this whole kind of, uh, there's two of you in a relationship, women are so immediate to jump on board and start doing anything. It's kind of right. like, let me just try to swim even though
0: I don't know how um, to. My phrase is, I'm gonna do something even if it's wrong.
1: Right, exactly. And, <laughs> you know? and men are more, let mm. me plan what I have to, let me get this first, you know, so they're sort of uh, uh, slower and often therefore the, the moms are just like running in a certain direction mm-hmm. and the dad Mm-hmm. Feel left out, and it's really important that that they be involved and that they open up and deal with their own issues around this. It's incredibly important, you know, Absolutely. because it does change your life in a thousand different ways, and you have to be able to kind of come to terms with what it is, autism, and then move forward from there. Otherwise, you're just paralyzed and and Absolutely. depressed.
0: Absolutely. Some of the best advice I ever got, and I wish I could remember who gave it to me, but uh when, when Jem was diagnosed and someone said, you know, hold on to your husband and they said and I mean literally hold on to them and they said think of making letters of the alphabet and that uh as a husband and wife you always wanna be at least in the shape of an H. So that you're standing, standing erect and, and holding, holding hands, but when things are difficult, put your heads together and be an A. Yeah. Oh, that's uh, nice. And I, and I always have thought about that. We used to have a little sculpture in our house that of, of two people holding hands and being in the shape of an A. Now, my son broke it in a tantrum, but we weathered <laughs> that and, and continued on. <laughs> that's really good. And, uh, you know, it is what it is. But, uh, yeah, I think about that from time to time, and and when stuff gets tough, you know, we try to hold on to each other and, you know, knock on wood. We have no wood so far. It's worked, but it's tough. It's It's incredibly tough. Yeah, really tough. Incredibly tough. Uh, well, okay. Thank you for that, uh, marriage (laughs) advice. We're going to take a short break and come back more with Dr. Doreen Shay, Keep your questions coming in on the live feature. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to ask Dr. Doreen. We had a question that came in right at the end of our hour last week that I wanted to make sure that we got to this Mm -hmm. week. My son is a four year old on the spectrum. He recently started telling people I talked to in public, hey, stop talking to my dad (laughs) while pointing his finger at the person. Any ideas to help me address it appropriately?
1: That is very cute. So like anything else, you have to ask yourself why he does that. And I can only guess at a few things. You know your son much better. But so one thing would be he's just bored because the duration of time that you're spending talking to someone else and he's not engaged or even if he is understanding it he's bored it's not the topic that he wants to talk about um, another concept could be that he's just he doesn't want to lose your attention so you're attending to this other person which to him means he's losing your time and attention which is kinda of the same thing it's just he wants you to be engaged with him and I mean there's two sides to this one is Um, you want to teach him not to tell people don't talk to my dad and the way to do that obviously is to show him that it can be a very short-term thing so I would actually set up a scenario and and practice it so you'd have uh, someone come up and then you would just say you know, hi, how are you? Fine. And so on. And then you'd go back with your son and then you expand that a little bit so that the duration, perhaps you want to teach your son, essentially, to be able to be patient and polite um, for, let's say, what is an appropriate time frame? I don't know, maybe two minutes, three minutes. Mm-hmm. It's up to you and, and your own family rules. Um, and you shape that up. Mm-hmm. And essentially, uh, you know, you, one of the things, you could do a million different things to let your son know that this is going to be a short-term thing. You start with a short-term, you can actually give your child a, an egg timer, mm-hmm. and they can turn it over, and when that's finished, you're finished talking. Um, And that way your child will learn not to interrupt or be impolite during that three-minute period, okay? On the other side, you want to make sure that you're not ignoring the child being there. A lot of times we don't see our kids as, you know, if you're with another adult, and um, let's say they speak a different language and you run into a friend or an acquaintance, you would most likely not stand there and talk to the acquaintance for 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. You'd probably keep it really short just to be polite to the friend that you're with, Right. right? And we need to kind of be the same with our kids, I think. It's just important to you know not make them wait for a very long period of time um, so you balance it out you decide what is appropriate like I said maybe three minutes maybe five minutes you know and you teach your child that, to that it's only ever gonna be about five minutes yeah and if it's going to be more then you just want to make sure your child is otherwise occupied yeah I, I mean it's just a very basic simple answer to that the I think the reason he does that is probably because he's either bored or wants your attention and of course you don't want him to keep doing that because it's not really polite but you also want to be fair with it and yeah. not keep him waiting a long time. And and you can, like anything else, you shape everything up. So you start right. with just the 30 second, and you can take it up all the way to five minutes.
0: It's interesting. We, we've we talked before about perspective taking and that it's all too easy for us to want to teach our children to take our perspective. But that right. I know as a parent, I forget to take my child's perspective on a regular basis. Right. I just do. I have an unrealistic expectation that, and now I'm in the lovely, lovely position where he tells me. You're Which is awesome. It is, and it's a great gift. But he'll say to me, "Mom, I really don't want to go clothes shopping for two hours with you." Yeah.
1: Oh my gosh. (laughs) You know, know. because really, statement of my son. All because really, why would he want to do that? Yeah. Absolutely. He Uh, he hates it, and you know, it's. There's another really important concept that keeps coming back to me which is time, mm-hmm. right? The understanding of time. When you tell an adult something like uh, it'll uh, just be 5 minutes, mm-hmm. they have a very uh, concrete understanding of what that means and they mm-hmm. know that 5 minutes will pass pretty fast. Kids don't and our kids on the spectrum really don't. So when we tell our kids something like, "Oh, um You have to wait five minutes, you'll get it in five minutes or I'll be right done. Those things mean nothing to our children. And sometimes to our kids, it's just, you know, it's impossible for them to be patient because they don't know if it's really going to be a short period of time or it's going to be a long period of time because time doesn't mean anything. Yeah. So often I find that when I do things for my, uh, let's say my older kids or my adults that and their biggest frustrations. I, I have a, I have a, a adult right now, or he's, I think, nineteen or twenty, and he's the sweetest, sweetest character ever. I mean, this kid is just a beautiful human being, and. He does so much So like so many things are being taught to him right now, both vocational and just in school. And he just does everything He's such a sweetheart. You just want to hug him all the time because he's so compliant. Mm-hmm. But then once in a while he'll want something and if you just tell him okay later or if you ignore his desire he'll go into a full-blown massive tantrum put his head through the window you know Mm -hmm. everything Mm -hmm. and it's because of the fact that he really doesn't understand Later or yeah. this evening or you know tomorrow any of that sort of stuff and so Right now we're focusing very much on his schedule and getting him to understand sort of what comes after each one And what is today and what's tomorrow? What's this afternoon and all that? Right. and I'm pretty sure that's significantly to impact his behavior because he is a very very sweet personality and if he knew that what he really wants is coming, and it's going to come after, let's say, these next five activities, he'd wait. It's just that when he doesn't know when it's gonna come, well then he's getting no rewards. He doesn't know when his rewards are coming. It's kind of like I gave the example the other day to a school and I said, you go to work and you're very tired in the morning. Assume that you're going into a difficult situation like uh, work or school or something. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, you're just who, who really wants to be there all the time unless you really love what you're doing? School, let's say, right? Mm-hmm. Most kids don't want to go to school, but they tolerate it because they know that there's the 3 p.m. bell. That means you're done, right. Okay. right? We as adults, we go to work and we might have an extremely exhausting night and we go to work and we're tired and, but we tolerate it and we push through it because we know that we're going to be done at five or at a certain point, right. There will we're be done, an end. there will be an end and I will be able to go home and sleep or rest or whatever it is. Right. right? Or, and
0: there's a reasonable expectation of when the end is.
1: Exactly. It's like you, you gauge your ability. Like if I was sometimes, and as you know, with my crazy schedule, if I have like, you know, I know that my day is going to be a 12 hour day and then I'm traveling tomorrow and it's a nightmare. And so on. I really have to, like, work myself into it to say I can do this. Yeah. I'm going to go till Friday and I'm going to rest on Saturday. I'm going to be able to right. do it, whether it's a day or five days. It right. doesn't matter. It's like you there is an end. Yeah. And, and you pace kids. yourself accordingly. Right. Right. And with our kids, I don't think they have that concept. First of all, kids don't have that concept as a whole, Mm -hmm. which is why typically developing kids are like, Mom, when are we there? When are we there? When are we there? So that's you know, a very good indication of that, but especially with our kids on the spectrum, it's, it's not something they, they track well in their mind. So they have a very hard concept of what is five minutes, what is a day. Yeah. And so making them wait is a very hard thing. And that's why I always recommend visuals to help them because like that's why I mean my kids I put watches on them very early and I tried to get them to understand just digital watches even just the concept of okay like see when this goes 5 minutes and then just to get the feeling of it or to put an alarm on the watch or give them an egg timer or just a kitchen timer some visual aspect of time yeah. you know schedules that show five activities and each activity is 10 minutes on you know those types of things are very important very interesting there, there there was
0: just a show on the Fox Network the other day about the brain mm-hmm. and how the brain perceives time right and it's a fascinating well, that's and, great. They, and they had all these little it was a, a test that you could take to see how you perceive time and then they would show you break down the science of why it was happening it was fascinating I've only watched the first Half of it, but I watched it with my son and cuz he awesome. loves to to see all That's those absolutely. things and it's very interesting how we all perceive time and and how inaccurate all of us are but then add autism onto that and you're just going to it's going to be exacerbated. Yes and <clears throat> and
1: also of course the perception of time varies significantly based on what you're doing. Absolutely. Right? I mean, if you love what you're doing, time flies. Yes if you don't like what you're doing time is like one i mean i remember shan like nowadays i come to work and I don't even know how eight, 10 hours goes by. I really don't because I'm just like running and I love everything I do and it's so busy. And I remember when I was young, you know, making donuts at UCLA or something. And I swear, (laughs) it felt like 15 (laughs) minutes was a century because I was like so bored, you know, so.
0: Absolutely. Well, really important though that we take our kids uh, in a perspective, their perspective of how long it seems because when we're standing there talking to somebody, what are they doing? Right. Interesting. Interesting. Well, uh, and sort of in keeping with what you're talking about, a viewer wants to know, did your children ever tantrum and how did you oh deal with that? Oh, my God. Now, I, uh, I have said this about you when you're not here that I, I'm i a huge fan of yours and you were the real deal. I've seen you work <laughs> with children and I've seen you in different meetings and you are the real deal. And, and I have seen your children and they're amazing children. Yeah. And thank and, the Lord they don't tantrum anymore but But, uh, your your oldest child who is nothing short of amazing she truly is amazing and she had told me a story recently and you said that it was all right if I share oh
1: of course
0: that uh, she talked about a long long plane ride that you were on and Mm -hmm. that your youngest daughter had reached critical mass because who wouldn't yes and that at a certain point you got up and went into the restroom And closed the door, and everybody thought she was having a tantrum, but right. the you said to her, just go ahead and scream it out. I'm going to stand here as long as it takes. Right. Just she was, was having a
1: tantrum. She was having the biggest tantrum. <laughs> the issue was, and I totally remember this, and, of course, she she was my, I always say that, and I love her to death. She's actually the one that is almost identical me. Ah. Like, it's unbelievable how much she she is me. So it's kind of interesting. Of course, now she's 12 and beyond all of this, but... <laughs> I have to say that this is when she was like two or something, and those were pretty tough days because she, um, you know, her first of all, kids I think get upset, get really easily agitated when they're tired. Yeah. And this was an eleven-hour flight. We used to uh. travel all the time to to Europe, uh. to Germany. I mean, uh, their dad is German, so uh, and I there were times, Shannon, when I had like you know my little one would be six months, and my son would be two, and Nikki would be four you know, or five and I'd be taking the three of them alone and it for eleven hours and you want to like kill yourself. I mean I had all these little techniques I'd use. You know, I'd go to 99 cents store and I'd buy a hundred little things and wrap them all in those days you could take foil and foil Uh and put them stuff them in a big bag and like approximately every ten minutes the kids would get to pick one and it would take them a long time to open it and then play with it and that's how we occupied ourselves. But this particular time we were coming back I think to LA and I think Charlie it was just something about she was exhausted and she didn't want to sleep she was a baby like I literally remember that she was maybe one and a half she was really little and she didn't want the food and so she took the food thing and threw it right and she just was having a full meltdown wow and it was hard for me because like a there's all this stuff on the floor the stewardesses are looking at you i had a lot of arguments with uh flight attendants in those days (laughs) so i just yeah i thought all right what am i gonna do you know i took her to the bathroom and i said go for it you know and i stood there and i remember her freaking out and i remember thinking if somebody can hear this, they're going to come and like think I'm abusing my child or something, and I'm just standing here looking and thinking, how long is this going to go? The only thing I did is I kind of splashed water on her face a few times to calm her down. Uh, it did take a while, though. I think it went on for about 40 minutes yeah. of screaming, and then after that, she wiped herself. She was just exhausted, yeah. so she came and laid in my arms and slept. But, but, I, mean, that, but I love the idea of you standing there and saying,
0: okay, you're having your feelings that you're having, and that you didn't take it on.
1: Oh, you know, having said that, there are times where I did take it on. I mean, it's it's impossible for a parent not to get involved when your child is, Oh my gosh, it's like, A, they're out of control and unreasonable, so you can't even slow them down enough, right? You can't really calm them because they don't want calming, they just want a tantrum. You're in a public place, so you don't really have the opportunity, and you have the other two to worry about. Yeah. Like, it is there have been times where afterwards i just sit there and i'd be sweating and i'd be like oh my lord what did i just go through yeah you know so it's it is a very very normal process because kids it's not like kids are born knowing all the rules they don't. So we teach our kids the rules, right? I mean, and and sometimes they will object. And tantruming is the earliest form of objecting. And so it's perfectly fine to do those things when you're that young and you can't really express like a two year old, you don't expect them to be able to identify and say, I'm really tired. I'm sick and tired of being on this 11 hour flight. I don't like the food. There's no movies I can watch. And I'd just like to scream my head off now. <laughs> You I think we've
0: all felt that way from right. time to time.
1: But and they don't have the tolerance, so you a have to try to keep them engaged, and b you have to kind of accept the fact that sometimes they're they're babies and they have they're gonna complain. But oh my gosh, yeah, I had should, I had all of my kids have been through those stages. Of course, you work with tantrums and challenging behavior. You teach you know the child how to self-regulate, and it doesn't matter every child starts out with that yeah. and it's just a matter of giving them enough resources to be able to so that they can self-regulate they can calm themselves down yeah. you know now if uh, any of my kids get upset about something we will have a conversation about it they'll go and chill out in their room and i won't let them Not talk about it. Mm. I will not let them just uh, sort of, uh, you know, put it inside and not discuss it because they'll come back down. I will say, we got to talk about this. Mm -hmm. And after they're calm, they'll come back and we'll discuss it. And sometimes I'm wrong and I will apologize and I'll say, I totally did not see your perspective and I get it. And this is how you want to deal with it. And it's, thank God, you know, at this age 12, 14, and 18, Mm. or almost 18. You can actually come to that level. But when they're kids, it's all behavioral. It's all just the same stuff. So interesting. But I often say with Charlie, my little one, uh, you know, the first two were so easy. Like he and Sonny behaviorally. And with Charlie, it was kind of like God said. You know, you've had it a little bit too easy. Here's this one. Have fun with this. Oh, but I
0: will say this that because uh, I do say this all the time because you are the real deal. When you, when you, I've seen you work with a child, with a child that you know and with a child that you don't know. I've seen you work with my child the first time that you had an opportunity to work with my child. You had a cold that any sane person would have oh, been I don't home even in remember. bed. And they were going to be doing some filming for a, a news thing. Thing, and you'd never met my child before. You knew me, but you hadn't right, met my child right. before. And you got down on the floor and played with little uh, Native American uh, toys with my son That's and I built like, something no with memory him. Of this. And and I remember thinking, you know, bless, I don't know how she's doing that because you weren't feeling well. And, and my child had a cold. I mean, like, nobody was feeling well, but you got down on the floor and played with him. And then when they were done filming and the camera who left, I expected you to go, okay, I gotta leave. But you sat and you played with him for longer. You weren't just gonna abruptly Oh no! no. Well, but here- you know a lot of people would be that way. And but you aren't, and I've seen how you are with children. I love the kids, you I have love such the a kids. Gift, and
1: you have such just a passion. I love the kids, they're so cool, they're the best, they're awesome. But I have to say, like from looking at myself over the course of the last, I don't know, thirty years of working with kids on the spectrum. I have, you know, I, once you become a mom. Things change quite a bit, and once you get a little bit older, I'm older now. I, from a behaviorist perspective, I think a lot of people I'm more of a psychologist than a behaviorist, I think now, whereas you used to be more of a behaviorist when I was younger. I think I, I really understand kids really, really well, and especially kids on the spectrum, and I really immediately can see the world from their perspective, yeah. so it's very easy for me to communicate with them. But I mean, I have now entered the age, Shannon, where all I really want to do is hug the kids, yeah. <laughs> and that's not good. <laughs> so it's kind of like I just—I have too much. Compassion for my kids now. I can't, I'll tell my supervisors what they need to do, but I can't be the one to implement it necessarily right. in certain cases because all I really want to do is just sit and hug them and hold them and like protect them and all this stuff you're not really supposed to do right. when they're having a behavioral issue. Well, that's okay. You have people to be the bad cop, you can be the yeah, good cop. Yeah. It's, I just love, they're just, because they're just such cool. Amazing souls, you know. Yeah. They're just such great people. Well, and
0: I see that you see them that way. Oh, for sure. Which is an amazing gift. That's an amazing gift. You know, there are a lot of cold people in this field. Yeah, I know. Well, how could you the not people- see a
1: child anyway? Yeah. Any child? How could you not well, see any child? There as are good? people.
0: There are people and um, and it's yeah. so, you're so refreshing and then on top of that that you have such a gift that you see what oh, they need and thanks. your expertise so uh, it's a lovely thing. We should take a break and come back uh, with some more of your questions and if you continue to bring them in we'll have even more to answer. Stick with us. Welcome back to Ask Dr. Doreen. We're here with Dr. Doreen Grampuche answering your questions. You can continue to ask them on the live feature at www.autism-live.com. The next question that we have, do children who aren't speaking at a young age ever recover?
1: Oh, yes. I mean, and I don't know what the parent means in terms of a young age, but Mm -hmm. certainly I've I've had kids who were, uh, you know, I had a child who came in, I I started at five with him, Mm -hmm. at five. And at five, he had somewhere close to maybe 30 single labels. Mm-hmm. And of course, at three, he didn't have any. Mm-hmm. And at four, he had very few. And so, you know, having just about 30 l- single object labels at five would be considered very. Delayed, and of course he's uh, typical and in college and doing extremely well. So yes, you do uh, recover. I have had I've had that happen a few times. Uh, it the verbal thing. You know, typically what they say, I guess one of the, there was this uh, test that was made at UCLA called the Early Learning Measure, and the development of verbal skills once you are in a good behavioral program is pretty critical. Um, in to recovery mm-hmm. but having said that if a child hasn't had the opportunity to learn then you don't really it doesn't matter if they're nonverbal right you want to give them the opportunity to learn and really the opportunity should go on intensively if it's a young child intensive ABA somewhere around 30-40 hours of ABA for per week for uh, about a year and that's the point where you decide I mean you'll see it right away first of all it's not like you won't see anything and then suddenly you'll have labels that a year no it's like a month in two months three months in and if you have had you have been able to uh, eliminate all the other problems like sort of problem behaviors are down biology is good child sleeping all that sort of stuff and now you're teaching and the child's picking up picking up picking up you see it all the time I mean that's that is the indication for me in the first year is like how much growth does the child have in the first Mm -hmm. year and that's my indication of how well they're gonna do Mm -hmm. and by the way I also want to say that I have some completely nonverbal kids who are ridiculously intelligent Mm -hmm. like two standard deviations above the norm IQ you know Mm -hmm. extremely bright kids And no one has, you know, maybe they've picked up 50 request labels, Mm -hmm. but no one's even, it's not occurred to anyone that language is way too hard for this child. Why don't I just teach them either sign or an augmentative device or what, you know? And once you do, the child's like almost like normal, except they're typing, Uh, you know, so you have to you just have to give the child the, every opportunity i suppose that's what i'm saying like yeah. you don't have to be verbal so but verbal but the the if you're talking about full you know recovery then that includes uh, verbal And usually within six to 12 months after an intensive ABA program, you can see if there's been adequate growth in language. And if not, then you're going to be switching gears and going into sort of a nonverbal type program. But even
0: then, as you were saying, those individuals can get to the point where they're completely, they have functional communication.
1: Oh, there's no question about that. It's just that you know social skills development becomes very very hard when mm-hmm. you're nonverbal Um, Unless and we've had this happen as well, but it's much more much less frequent where the child is able to communicate now And now their social environment becomes sort of a school for hearing impaired kids for Mm -hmm. instance Mm -hmm. And then they become more infused when they're in that program because all the kids are communicating that way otherwise you you take a hearing impaired child or a child who is uh, non-verbal and has some form of autism and you place them in normal environments Well, the hearing impaired child won't interact either right it's just that's what it is right.
0: interesting very interesting we've had two different questions uh, about uh, one about movie talk and another one about how to get a four-year old to stop self-talk
1: right okay so I'll try to not go into too much on this so movie talk uh, and self talk might be even similar because I don't like, okay, so movie talk is generally just repeating things from movies. Mm-hmm. And when I see kids doing that, um so it, it, sometimes it's in context which is kind of interesting like they'll learn something from a movie and they'll use it appropriately right but it's fully scripted right but it's appropriate when they say it right and sometimes it's completely out of context so they'll just be repeating something because they're thinking it and these are different things they're completely different things so the first one if a child is like repeating something but they're trying to use it in a functional way that's what they're doing they're learning yeah. language from movies and they're trying to use it in a, in a way that is useful to them so maybe leave that alone well I would leave it alone if it's a child who's in language development phase okay. right? if they're trying to learn language I wouldn't you never really want to shut down a child's language if it's somewhat appropriate right. you kind of want to steer it rather than shut it down if it's inappropriate so if it's like repetitive in nature or something that is really not adaptive in any way then i'd want to shut it down but the way that you do that is basically you want to limit those opportunities so the the movies you perhaps a lot of our kids get hooked on one movie versus like they'll want to see the same thing 10 times in a row mm-hmm. so that is the one that you probably want to take away and if your child has a really hard time with that then maybe once a week as a major reinforcer they get to see that but if they start to imitate a lot of movies you might want to just put movies on break for a little bit and right. start to uh, do go other things like right. use that skill I mean this is a child who's actually imitating from visual and auditory so hey let's give them some educational programs on TV that they could um, mimic right. or or model from, but
0: um, and we don't get into a discussion about that and say you know we're not watching movies because you're repeating them. You just distract them with other things. It
1: depends on the child's functioning. Okay. Like again, it's like if it's a very high functioning child who completely understands what the contingency is, okay. and they'll say. I got it, I won't repeat anymore, <laughs> right. then you let don't, him watch it, Don't right? take away my movie, I won't repeat anymore. Right, right, right. But if it's a child that doesn't get the contingency, don't get into an argument, for right. sure, Yeah, and just like take it away and replace it. Um, the We have this with a lot of our kids, and I think it's important to understand, there's more to it. I can't, there's a lot to discuss on this subject, because sometimes our kids there are some children who really live in a fantasy world. Mm. And they love that, and that is a little bit more um, important to deal with because you really want them to kind of be aware of or at some point you need to teach them the difference between make believe fantasy costumes dress up mm-hmm. and normal mm-hmm. and that's not something I'd be doing with the child until past let's say 5 or so okay. um but it, it then it goes into the, like sort of the play curriculum because that's where you're starting to teach them about pretend mm-hmm. and pretend play and fantasy and dress up and all that Um, And then there are some kids who are saying a lot of stuff because they don't differentiate between thinking and saying. And you know we have lessons for that in our cognitive (laughs) curriculum, which have to do with just, you know, think versus say. And...
0: I need to tighten up on that myself from time to time
1: <laughs> <laughs> I did too. I did too. Uh, but it is so like and that, that's those are lessons where we're teaching our kids the difference between thinking something and then saying it out loud and we will actually practice those things with our kids so really I there's uh, at any given age movie talk or self self-talk we'll talk about in a second okay. but movie talk can be um it, the function of it could be a different thing. It could be just trying to communicate, trying to interact. Um, it could be repetitive, just so that the child feels, is there might be saying it and laughing. Some of the kids will just enjoy repeating it, and that's perfectly fine. We, we also will think of something funny and laugh, and then mm-hmm. explain it to others. Our kids just don't have the contextual ability. Sometimes with some of our kids, what we do is we'll teach them to say, I was watching a movie the other day and this and this happened and then they can say it so kind of introducing the subject that's one of our lessons as well is, because everything else about it is fine if you look at kids they're typically developing kids they're always doing that they're always talking about did you see on that movie when he did blah 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 but if they didn't say the did you see on that movie mm-hmm the whole thing would be weird right so you just have to introduce the topic appropriately and then you can talk about it right but then we have to teach our kids to talk about it for a limited period of time and not obsess right. on it so these are many different <laughs> lessons right Right? now self-talk sometimes and I don't know if the parent is referring to self-talk in the way that I think about it okay but self-talk is sometimes talking yourself um, is kind of giving yourself instructions mm-hmm. like I've had kids who are the cutest ever. And they they go think they do things like, I can do this. I can do this. Oh. I can do this. And that's very oh. normal. And like, I wouldn't really touch that very much. Uh-huh. So, and I, so other than that, I'm not sure if the parents all, who mentioned self-talk is really also referring to movie talk. Uh-huh. They might also be talking about echolalia. I don't know, like repetitious right. sounds or words. Okay. Interesting.
0: Uh, all right, I'm. I'm going to move on to another question then. Um, give me one second here because I was. I was so interested in what you were saying.
1: Um, and I often go into so much on these things, and I. I always do it with the assumption that that if the parent wants to know more about this, I hate referring people back to skills all the time. But really, all of these concepts are detailed in great depth and skills and then you know just everything that I said and a hundred things more are written in skills about how to teach um, how to stop things like when we talk
0: interesting okay so we've got a a mom who wrote it and said I'm very mad that my child has autism and doesn't speak I'm I'm very mad yeah and I'm furious that we had to fight to get services and I'm terrified about what would have happened if we hadn't gotten ABA Uh, what is it going to take to change the equation yeah, you know your your opinion.
1: Uh yeah, I'm with you there. I'm, I'm very mad too, and I have been for a really long time. I guess for me, it's a little bit easier because I've been in the world of autism for thirty somewhat years, and I've seen things improve. Um, I guess I went through different phases. First, I was just shocked, and then I was like more shocked. You know, with autism, it's not just uh oh my gosh it's like hard to get someone to actually diagnose appropriately and even harder to get someone who's going to get, tell you the truth about what the options are and that there are a lot of options because most people don't even know that. Then once you pass the diagnostic phase, which is hard enough on its own, it's a battle to get funding. And once you pass that, it's a battle to get a good provider. I mean, it's just nonstop, you know. So autism is cr- its a crazy field. It has challenges all around it. but. It's improved, you know, it's improved slowly considering how fast the the rate of autism has increased, you know, but it it has improved. We now have 33 states that have insurance funding for ABA, thank God. Um, Yes. We now have... Thousands of BCBAs where you know 20 years ago we didn't have any. Um, we now have uh, centers at pretty much all universities that recognize what autism is. A lot of pediatricians are getting trained better. A lot of things are changing. It's just so it's, it seems slow because autism is growing so fast. So, in contrast, it is slow. Um, I don't blame you for being angry. Uh, I guess I a lot of parents turn that anger into doing something productive you know like you Shannon and this program for instance I is so helpful to so many people I have you know a lot of my the parents who are my friends like uh, Thea Davis that I talk about a lot she of course became a BCBA and has an awesome program on the east coast uh, Bonnie Yates who is a lawyer and started practicing special ed and just getting funding for a lot of families I could go on and on and on yeah. I mean, the entire act today board they're all yeah. parents and they all have are doing incredible things and fundraising and helping other people so as a parent I think where you see things are lacking jump in yeah. and help that we all have to work together to get things to be better
0: I think that's a really good point and I I think that you don't have to, it doesn't have to be something big, even if it's just going on Facebook and when you see somebody, even we ask a question of the day and sometimes parents will write things in and I see other parents step in and say, you know, here's what I did about this. Here's something you should be aware
1: of. And I know that both of those parents feel better afterwards. And I absolutely agree with that. And I have to say there hasn't been a single change that wasn't initiated by parents. In this field, everything is pushed by parents. The parents are amazing. And so, you know, re- direct your anger, I guess, redirect it into yeah, this energy. energy.
0: It is energy. Yeah. And, I, and I've and told the story before here that uh, we I would not be here and my child would not be where he is if somebody hadn't told me about CARD. And, that, and, and, and it was a parent who told me, and I've gone back to that parent. Uh, you know, every couple of months I go back to her and say, how am I ever going to repay you? And what she said to me very early on was, you're not going to, you're going to pay it forward. forward. Yeah. And and she said, I will expect you to go find other parents to tell them. Right. And she says to me now, I didn't know you were going to take it so literally, Shannon. <laughs>
1: You know, it's Mike. so true, and it's I love that because the whole concept of paying it forward. I think just in life, not just about this uh, this world of autism, but just in life, is something we should always be spreading. And it truly is. I mean, if you think of the families that have found some help because of this show, because of what you do every day, um, it's unbelievable. If you think of all the families who've received help because of Nancy uh, and oh. Act Today and what she does, and yeah. Uh, under any circumstances under uh, under the most stressful circumstances you know you both and many other parents are just doing what they can for yeah. kids so yeah we are we're all contributing to it and moving yeah. it forward we, we hold a hand out to the people uh, who are ahead of us who have well,
0: done at, things before us right. and we hold a hand back to the people who are coming behind us and right. in that way I right. say, I always say if we all hold hands together we'll get there eventually Right. Um, and progress you know progress is the name of the game for our kids so it has to be the name of the game for the entire community and how we move forward. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I know it's all easy to say. Only 33 states have insurance reform. Well, really, and there should so, be a federal mandate, and I would agree with you wholeheartedly. But the fact that we have 33 states, and I was told that in my lifetime we would not have
1: one state that yeah. would have insurance reform yeah. in my lifetime. I I started in this field in 1978, right, mm-hmm. and I when the insurance mandate started. To happen about three or four years ago, I said that I did not think this would happen in my lifetime. Yeah. I didn't think it would. And it is spectacular. It's hard. It's very, very hard to deal with the carriers. They don't understand what this is. I don't think they understood when they signed on yeah. that it would be a massive undertaking. Yeah. But and we're fi- we fight with them, we argue, we convince them, they convince us, we compromise, all sorts of stuff. But hey, they're funding thousands of yeah. kids. It's yeah. fabulous. It is fabulous. Yeah. It's a step in the right direction.
0: And we'll continue to take steps in the right direction. But unfortunately, we're out of time. Right. But I so appreciate you being here and yeah, answering my pleasure. our questions. And it's uh, always an opportunity to learn and have Thank more you. questions. Yeah. I hate to let you go. We'll
1: be here next week.
0: <laughs> we'll be here next week.